Well, it has been a great first month um, here, and I'm getting used to and enjoying calling Grace Fellowship Church my church after being at another local congregation for a decade. And as associate pastor, you can really understand my role in two words, ministry development. And the motto that Julie and I have kind of, kind of phrased that I think well phrases my responsibilities is that in ministry development, by God's grace, we're seeking to build healthy structures for a sustainable and scalable gospel ministries here at the church. And in my time in vocational ministry and just my time as a Christian, I am sure like you have been a part of a lot of different fellowships, a lot of different uh, small groups and discipleship opportunities. Some of them have been very meaningful and very impactful to my life. Some of them, as I'm sure you've experienced as well, sometimes can feel like, what am I even doing here? What is the point of this? This kind of doesn't feel worth it. Today, we want to understand what really makes fellowship effective. Now, Philemon, he was the host of a church that met in the city of Colossae. He was likely also one of the pastors of that church. And this church in the city of Colossae was kind of struggling a little bit. They had some doctrinal concerns and Paul wrote them another letter, the letter to the Colossians that addressed that, though this letter was delivered at the same time as the letter to the Colossians, but it addressed another concern with a broken relationship between Philemon and a man named Onesimus. And in this letter, we're going to be focusing today on verse 4 to 7, and as Paul normally does, he starts his letters with a prayer. And Paul's prayer in verse 4 to verse 7 shows us a model for what effective fellowship looks like. Paul's prayer for Philemon distinguishes four essential features for effective fellowship that can make a real difference in your life today. This is our aim for our time in God's word, and we want to ask and answer three questions to better understand effective fellowship. First, we want to understand what is fellowship. Then we want to ask what are the essential features that we need to commit ourselves to, and what difference can it really make in our lives when we're committed to it? So as we go into God's word, let's take a moment and pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the fellowship that we can have in Christ Jesus. We recognize that we are a sinful people, self-centered people, who would often look to our own desires to fulfill our own dreams. But you would have us be a people who are others-centered, who are sacrificial like Christ. So, Lord God, would you help us to understand how we can be a people that are shaped into the image of Christ so that we can truly experience effective fellowship as you design that makes a real difference. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, so let's start here. What is fellowship? The term fellowship in the New Testament, um, in its original language, is translated different ways in different contexts. It can be translated as the word participation, it can be translated as the word uh, partnership. The most common one that you might be familiar with is Acts 2 verse 42, how they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the prayers, 
into the fellowship. But the the fundamental idea of fellowship is conveyed in verse 4 here, excuse me, verse 6, where Paul prays for the sharing of Philemon's faith. Sharing is the fundamental idea of what fellowship is. And we can see in the New Testament, fellowship is sharing multiple different things. We can share our common mission as partners in the gospel. We can share in our common resources like finances for the common welfare of others. But I think the most common idea that we're familiar with when we talk about fellowship is sharing in relationships with one another. This is the context of what Philemon is about. Fellowship is sharing in relationships with other Christians on the basis of our common faith in Christ. Now, relationships for the sake of relationships don't really make that much of a difference. They aren't in themselves effective. Fellowship that's truly effective is when our shared relationships with each other allow us to share a deeper relationship with our God. That's the type of fellowship we're going after. Shared relationships together for a deeper shared relationship in the life and person of God. This idea is conveyed best in 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. This passage says, That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you may have fellowship with us, shared relationships, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Relationships together to share deeper in relationship with God. And here's the result we see in 1 John 1, 3, when it's effective. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. We're all longing for joy. And friend, you were made for fellowship. You were made to enjoy the fulfillment of life in God and life with God, knowing God and being known by God and others also made in the image of God. But we all are prone to patterns that provoke conflict and dysfunction in relationships rather than fulfilling enjoyable relationships. Um, One of the challenges that I thought might be a concern in starting to work more into the city after working in the suburbs was the commute, and by God's grace, that's been pretty reasonable of transition, but every day I drive south on Markham Road and I see this billboard beside a, like a storage unit where you can rent out storage space. And there's an ad for the storage unit and there's a angry uh, man and I assume his disgruntled wife and the ad says, public storage, way cheaper than a divorce lawyer. And at one point that's funny, but at the other point that's Quite sad. I'm no marketing expert. Maybe you took marketing university, but I know in marketing you're looking for a target audience. So this ad is appealing to homeowners and people who live in homes. And in marketing, in order to sell your product, you want to be able to have a touch point that's relatable, that can reach as many people as possible. The relatable thing that this storage unit thinks that the most people can relate to is conflict and dysfunction in the home. A lot of people have been touched by this. We 
are prone to patterns that provoke dysfunction and conflict in relationships. Enjoying fulfilling relationships where we are known and loved by others does not come naturally. And the problems we feel in our homes with one another started with the God who made us. Humanity chose rather to enjoy fellowship with God according to his design. We all chose to find fulfillment in our own way, following our own design. This is sin. And our God is a pure God and a holy God and created us for himself. But the filth and rebellion of our sin by turning from God has alienated us from him. All of the dysfunction and conflict we feel in our broken world is because that first relationship with God is broken. The good news, though, is that God himself made a way for us to be restored into relationship with him and to be able to find harmony and peace in relationships with others. And it came at the cross. See, Jesus himself, the son of God, had always enjoyed perfect fellowship and perfect relationships in harmony and eternal joy and love with his father. Yet on the cross, we hear Jesus calling out the words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? On the cross, the spotless son of God was stained with the filth of our own sin. He was forsaken in our sins so that we could be forgiven from our sin. He stood in our place once for all so that by faith in Jesus, we are cleansed of our sin. By faith in Jesus, we are welcomed back into relationship with God to, be know, to know and to be known, to love and to be loved. By faith in Jesus, the Lord no longer looks at us as that um, uh, wayward, uh, delinquent child, but as a beloved Son with a seat at the table, a loved daughter who always has a place. And if you have believed in Christ, the Father looks at you with the same compassionate and tender eyes that he looks at his own beloved Son, Jesus Christ. As his child, you're also, you're not an only child. You're adopted into a spiritual family and we have spiritual siblings. And God designed fellowship with him to be experienced in fellowship with others. Fellowship is sharing meaningful, life-giving relationships with others on the basis of our shared faith in Christ. So my question for you is, are you? Are you enjoying fellowship with your brothers and sisters or are you living functionally like you're an only child. Fellowship is truly effective when our shared relationships with each other allow us to share in deeper relationship with God. This is the blessing that we have 
earned and won through our Savior, Jesus Christ. It is the preeminent privilege of privileges that we can know and be known, God and each other, and not be ashamed of what might be seen because we know that Christ has fully cleansed us so I can be open with others and expose even the wretchedness of my own heart because I know that in Christ, there is no sin left to be exposed that Jesus hasn't already covered. So I can be open and known and not fearful or ashamed with people who will know me because God knows us in Christ. This is what we can have. So what are our commitments to make it effective, to actually experiencing this? Because often fellowship can just feel dull and dry. Relationships for the sake of relationships are not enough. What are the essential features the things that we need to commit to, the duties we have for each other. Well, there are four features that we see distinguished from Paul in his prayer to Philemon. Let's reread it again, verse four to verse seven. The apostle Paul says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. Let's pause there. In this first part of his thankful prayer, Paul esteems the character of Philemon, and this shows us the first essential feature of effective fellowship. We influence each other with faith and love. That makes fellowship effective. Now, look at these words again with me. Verse 5. Because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. Now, the logical arrangement of these words doesn't seem to make sense. I get the idea of love and faith towards the Lord Jesus, but how do I have faith towards all of the saints? It doesn't seem to really match up here. All right, now Paul, when he's writing this, is trying to show Emphasis. Now, in our day, if we're going to emphasize something in a letter, you might use all caps, you might underline or bold or italicize. We have these features to be able to show emphasis in our writing. In ancient literature, they had different features, different ways of being able to show emphasis. One of those ways was being able to stack words on top of each other, where outer words were paired and inner words were paired, and the innermost words were kind of the focus and the emphasis. So you see in this pattern here that Paul is esteeming uh, Philemon for his love, the outer word, for all of the saints, the other bookmarked outer words, and then the inner words are connected, the faith in the Lord Jesus. You following me here? So he's esteeming his love for the saints, his faith in Christ Jesus. What Paul is saying is that his love for all the saints is motivated because of his faith towards and in the Lord Jesus. See, we are commanded to love each other as Christ has loved us. And this is important. The firmer our faith in the love that Christ has shown to us, the deeper and purer our love will be to one another. I really appreciate author Paul Tripp's definition for love. Listen carefully to this and compare it to your own relationships. Love is 
willing self-sacrifice for the good of another that does not require reciprocation or that that person being loved is deserving. Love is willing self-sacrifice for the good of another that does not require reciprocation or that the person being loved is deserving. Do you love like that? That you're willing to give your time, a listening ear, shared emotions, serving with your physical energy, you're willing to give it at cost to you for the good of the other, even if they don't show anything back and even if they don't deserve it. I know there are ways I fall way short of that type of love. But the firmer our faith in this love that Christ has shown us, the deeper and purer our love will be to one another. Now, it's been fun to get to know some of you over the past couple of weeks, and uh, I've been able to have just nice conversations to get to know a little bit more about you. We had a small group in our home, and we just learned weird and fun things about one another, and we've talked about things like interior design and football and, and parenting, and I got to say, just over the past like three and a half weeks, it's been really easy to love you. You've been very easily lovable. Thank you for such a good experience. But... I know what church has been like over the past 18 months. And I know it has not been easy to willingly self-sacrifice for the good of others. It's really hard to love one another as Christ has loved us. Our love for one another recently has been quite tested. And when Paul was writing this letter to Philemon, while he was esteeming his love, Philemon's love was about to be tested. Because the man who handed him this letter from Paul was the same guy who, not too long ago, abandoned him and robbed him. That was the last time he saw Onesimus. Now Onesimus is coming back. He sees him walking up. He's got a letter in his hand. And he's just thinking about all the ways that he wronged him. And he gets a letter. And someone is saying, forgive this man. Oh, and if he actually financially stole from you, it'll be repaid but receive him back as a brother. The quality of our love is tested through trials. Over the past 18 months, has your love gone through the fire and been shown as pure? The firmer our faith in the love that Christ has shown to us, the deeper and purer our love will be from one another. Love that springs out from our faith in the gospel, it has a different kind of motive and attitude when we disagree with each other. And disagreements happen. Hurt happens. See, the kind of faith that springs from the gospel is able to look at themselves and admit, I know I'm a sinner. And I know as a sinner, there's things I just don't know. And there are blind spots that I can't even see that I have. But I know they're there. This kind of love is less focused on being right because it's more focused on being found in the righteousness of Christ by faith. And when we have disagreeable conversations, Christians are always like, well, you know, Scripture says, like, like love doesn't rejoice in evil. Love rejoices in the truth. Yes, it does. But love is also patient 
kind and not rude. How would this kind of mindset change the tones of our important disagreements in the church? No matter how right we are, we are always wrong if we do not have love. This is our duty. The scripture says, owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. You have a debt to pay to every other Christian in this church. Love. But when we know how much Christ has loved us, we can learn to show it. That's hard. Because I can only determine what I do with my own heart, my own life. And it's up to God to really change the hearts of others. But this then shows us the second essential feature of effective fellowship. We influence each other with faith and love and we strive in prayer. Look at verse five again. It says, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective. Uh, this past summer, I really enjoyed watching the Olympics. Uh, I have a three-and-a-half-year-old and a, a two-year-old son, and my daughter really enjoyed watching swimming the most. I tried to watch the highlights for the opening ceremony. Uh, didn't really seem worth it. Just skipped all the closing ceremony. Because really, that's not what the Olympics are about. The Olympics are about the games, the events. Now, this can be the way that we often think about prayer in fellowship. It's the ceremonial thing we do when we start fellowship and end fellowship, but it's not an event of fellowship. Like the playing of the national anthem at the beginning of a school day or at a hockey game, prayer can be treated just as the thing we open our time and close at our time, but functionally, do we actually treat it like it's essential? Prayer is an indispensable part of the work of fellowship. Now, Paul mentioned another member of the Church of Colossae in verse 23 at the end, a man named Epaphras. Epaphras is an example of what striving in prayer looks like. Epaphras was likely the founding pastor of the church in Colossae. And the Apostle Paul said this about him in Colossians 4 verse 12. He said, Epaphras, who was one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers so that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Do you hear those adjectives, what it's, prayer is like? Always struggling. Hard work. It's not the, the thing that opens and closes our fellowship. It is a vigorous activity within our fellowship. Does this characterize your prayers for others in the church and with others in the church? Fellowship isn't complicated, but that doesn't mean it's easy. And prayer, when done rightly, is agonizing, like Christ in the garden like David in his secret place. We influence with faith and love. We strive in prayer. It's not complicated, but it isn't easy. And this next third 
feature can be easily ascended to and agreed to, but are we actually practicing it? We influence with faith and love, we strive in prayer, and we are oriented around Scripture. Look at verse 6. It says, And I pray that the sharing, remember that's the word fellowship, that the fellowship of your faith may become effective. The fellowship of the Colossian church happened in the realm of faith. And Romans chapter 10 says that faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of God. If we're going to share our relationships in the realm of our faith, it must then be oriented around the word of God. I don't teach elementary school science, but I think I remember a little bit of it, right? And in elementary school science, or at least in like the little cartoon video that what I watched with my kids about planets, I know that the, the moon rotates around the earth, right? Because the earth has a larger mass and weight than the moon. It holds it into its orbit and keeps it in orbit. And, and the earth rotates around the sun because the sun has a gravitational pull because of its larger and superior mass and weight to the earth. And because of that weight and mass, the sun keeps the earth around in orbit. What does your fellowship, what are your relationships with other Christians orbit around? What takes up your most time? What takes up the most of your conversations and dialogue? and WhatsApp chats. What do you give most weight and most significance to in your relationships together? Whatever that is, that is what your fellowship will orbit around. But if it's not orbiting around the scripture, effective fellowship will fall out of orbit. Now there are some things that we, we do in relationships that are beneficial, they're good, but they're just not essential. Coffee dates, where you're just socializing are good. Playing activities uh, together are good. Watching sports together are, is good unless you cheer for teams from Montreal. <laughs> then it's not even, I don't, we need to have other conversations here. Things like these are beneficial, they're good, but they're not essential. Scripture-oriented fellowship is so essential that if we don't have it, our fellowship falls out of orbit. When it's given the highest weight and greatest significance, that's when we'll get the blessing that only God's word can give. The blessing of God's word, like it says in Jeremiah 15, verse 16. It says, your words were found and I ate them and they became to me the joy and delight of my heart. This is what God's word does. It nourishes us. It satisfies us like nothing else can for our soul. Or the benefit of Psalm chapter 1, verse 3. It says, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. Its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, it prospers. You want stability? You want fruitfulness? You want resilience? You want success? Meditate on God's word day and night. And let it set the agenda for your fellowship. Yet notice, there's one word that I intentionally skipped over in verse 6, but I'll turn back to it now. Fellowship doesn't just happen in the realm of the faith. 
It says, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective. And this distinguishes the final essential feature of fellowship. We imitate one another. The Colossian fellowship would be made effective by God as they learned to share in Philemon's faith what he believed in God's word and how he lived it in his life. This type of imitation is really illustrated well in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. It says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Now, a word to younger Christians here. Um, if your fellowship is primarily focused around people your own age, you might consistently wonder why it seems like there are aspects of your Christian living that you have all the puzzle pieces, but you don't know how to fit together. As long as we are only looking at in fellowshipping with people our own age, we may not see the bigger picture of what life actually can look like. But when you have deliberate and intentional relationships with people who are older than you, they are not perfect, but you can see how with time and years of experience ahead of you that they have been able to fit the puzzle together in ways that you just haven't been able to experience yet. And you can see not only the things they understand from God's word, but also the way they live it in their life. Now, a word to mature Christians. A lot of mature Christians can get mature, uh, excuse me, cold feet when they think about like mentoring or discipling younger people. Because in some like false sense of humility, they're just like, I, I don't have it all together. Well, guess what? You never will. But if you have habits of spiritual discipline that are bearing fruit consistently in your life, and a view of the wisdom to order your life so that you're able to allow others like your wife and your kids to flourish as well, you don't have it all together, but your life is worth imitating. We need you, and others can benefit from you. Your life may be have buried treasure that you think is just routine and normal, but you have so much gold treasure of Christian living that the gold, there's, there's so much of it that it doesn't seem that valuable to you when other Christians haven't even seen an ounce of this gold Christian maturity in their life. And all you need to do is give them access, hand them a shovel and say, mine out whatever you can find. This is fellowship. Sharing in relationships together to share in deeper relationships with God. We influence with faith and love. We strive together in prayer. We imitate one another. We are oriented around the scriptures. And when we do this, it can make a real difference in our lives. So I want to take our time to conclusion by sharing the two ways that fellowship can make a real difference in our life. And they're both found in verse 6 and verse 7. Paul says, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. This is the first difference that effective fellowship can make. It can transform our character for maturity. Full knowledge is true maturity. 
It's not just knowledge that's in our head, but it's knowledge that transforms our hearts and our lives so that our character reflects the lifestyle of Jesus Christ. It's not just knowing about self-control, it's being self-controlled. It's not just knowing about gentleness, it's living with a gentle and meek spirit. What gets us to maturity is, as it says, every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. This is a reference that Paul is using to describe the good that has been given to us, which Christ has accomplished in the gospel. When we are committed to the essential features of fellowship, these features, these commitments in our time together will reinforce the good of who God is, who we are in him, and how by faith in grace, by faith through God's grace, Christ will make who we've become in him to how we are living for him. What change in your character are you praying for? See, in Christ, you've been made holy through the good things of the gospel and through the encouragement and reinforcement of fellowship, you can become holy as he is holy. In Christ, you've been shown great love and through the encouragement of fellowship, you can begin to show true love as he has loved you. Fellowship can transform our character for greater maturity. And here's the second one in verse seven. The Apostle Paul says, for I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Refreshment. Who needs some of that nowadays? Now, when the Bible talks about the heart, it can talk about two different aspects of the inner life. Sometimes the heart means the motives and intent, why we do what we do. In other circumstances, it can talk about the feelings and affections that we have about why we do what we do. And in this instance here, the Apostle Paul is talking about our feelings and affections. Why would we need our feelings and affections and our emotions refreshed? There are a lot of things in life that make us weary. Even as Jesus said, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. I think about uh, caring for the welfare of other people, young moms taking care of young kids or um, older people taking care of aging parents. This is a good thing, but it can be wearying. I think about Christian employers who are uh, often stripped down in front of their peers, even over Zoom calls, and they would want nothing more to strike back, but knowing that they represent Christ, they just stay silent. That's wearing. It's exhausting. I think about high school students who know they're called to a holy life and want to fit in, but they know they can't compromise their faith, so they spend so many nights at home alone, and the loneliness is wearying. This is where fellowship steps in. The hearts of the saints, our weariness is revitalized in fellowship. It doesn't make the challenges we're going through any easier, but it's like having a home field advantage. What advantage is there for the Leafs or the Blue Jays or the Raptors to play at home? The game's the same, the opponent's the same. The advantage is the people and the fans cheering behind you. 
They're still tired. They're still exhausting. They still have a hard opponent. But when the home fans are cheering, their spirits are lifted. Their hearts are revitalized to give that extra boost to get the win. And that's what fellowship can do. So when you're tired and you think you might be more relaxing to skip out on fellowship, you're choosing a decision that's going to make you more weary and exhausted rather than getting re-energized by the home team fans. This is what fellowship can do. So, in our relationships, we need to commit to the essentials. Influencing with faith and love. Striving in prayer. Being oriented around scriptures. Imitating each other's lives. And when we do, by the grace of God, we can see a Grace Fellowship Church. Our character transformed and our hearts revitalized for the glory of God. Would you stand with me as we pray together?